This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 18, the episode of hope. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Hey, great to have you all with us. Uh, If you're listening to this as we drop the episode, it should be just the start of the new year. So happy new year, everybody. And uh, with me in the studio this morning is Katrina Willis. Hi there. And Holly Buck. Hello, everyone. And I'm Mark Willis. Glad to have you all here. Now, I'm going to just dive right on in. We've got some interesting content to review together today. But first, I want to say a bit about you, our dear listener. Uh, I think I I, I might be so bold to say we know a little bit about you. And no, we haven't been reading over the uh, credit hacks from, what is it, Experian or whatever from last summer. Um, <laughs> but I do believe we can ex- suppose that you are doing your best. First, The first thing I think I know about you is you're doing your best to be financially successful. You know, you maybe haven't achieved total tran- financial transcendence. You know, you're not listening to this podcast on a private island sipping gold lace champagne or something. Uh, but I do think that you're trying to do your best, save what you can, follow your CPA's guidance. You might even have even consulted a few financial advisors in the past. Uh, unfortunately, I have something else that I think I know about you, and that is you've been lied to. Unfortunately. Uh, but you've been following the same conventional financial misguidance that got all of us into the retirement crisis that we're in now as a nation. Paying off your mortgage early, pouring as much as you can into IRAs, 401ks, 529s, all that stuff. Is it possible that there's more to the truth about money than what you've been told? And finally, the third thing I think I might know about you is that you are not average. I mean, hey, you're listening to our podcast, for goodness sakes, right? (laughs) (laughs) So you've read some books on financial planning. Uh, You've maybe attended some financial-related seminars or read some newspapers. You're not really looking for a free ride here, but you are proud of what you've done. You're trying your best to understand this thing called money. You're willing to see things differently. You're willing to absorb the statistics that we're constantly quoting in our podcasts and willing to do your own homework. I I think that uh, if I know a little bit about you, I think you're willing to entertain the possibility that there might be some solid time-tested strategies out there uh, that most financial gurus are not willing to acknowledge Uh, but that hundreds of thousands of people like you are using successfully. So what I hoped we'd do in this episode is go into some of the things that we've heard ourselves, Holly, you and me, and even Katrina, on some objections, things that uh, people bring up when they hear about Bank on Yourself or some of the other solid money solutions in addition to Bank on Yourself that our financial firm offers. Thought maybe we'd dive into that. And the first one I've always heard is, "Hey, hey, Mark, you know, I think this is cool. I think this is great but I just don't have enough money. I don't have enough income. So Holly, what would you say to that? Yeah, I think that when it comes to the objection of of not having enough money, it's it's really just a matter of saving, right? Um, So they're saying, I I don't make enough to be able to save. I don't have enough at the end of the month that I, you know, can set aside and and do any sort of, of plan. You know, I don't have enough for that. And I understand. I get it. You know, when, when income's tight, income's low, that you don't feel like there's much left over. But I think that there can be an argument made for the fact that shouldn't we all be saving? And shouldn't you be saving no matter how much you make? Right. And mm-hmm. when you talk about saving, you know, shouldn't it just be a percentage? So technically, you can take a percentage of 
any amount, you know, whether that's saving 5% or saving 10%. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're making, you know, $30,000 a year or $300,000 a year, you can still save a percent. You can still save 10%. Um, and so that would kind of be my my response to um, kind of that uh, objection of I don't make enough. And it's like, well, you know, I understand income might be low, but you could still probably find a way to save 10% because you should be saving anyways, you know, right. whether it's bank on yourself or a savings account, you know, you should be saving something and you should be saving somewhere. I mean, that's the whole paycheck to paycheck cycle, right? Mm-hmm. You mean when, yeah. when there's nothing, you, you have to get out of that. You have to overcome the paycheck to paycheck cycle and you absolutely have to be saving and setting something aside for your future if you if you ever want to get ahead. Yeah, and I've met folks on both ends, 30,000, 300,000, both that are on that cycle. Uh, that rat race of paycheck to paycheck. And this starts when you're a little kid. You know, you start teaching kids how to save. If you give a kid $10 allowance, they're putting a dollar into a bucket. You know, save that dollar. So this doesn't connect to age. But one thing Mm -hmm. that does connect to age with income is if you are living in your parents' basement and you just graduated from college and you don't have a job, you know, that's, that's an income issue. But what I will say is that the chances of you making more money are very high. And you need to prepare and plan for that and start saving right away. Mm -hmm. There's a demographic bell curve where you can see the people that are in their early years are going to make a little bit less in their early 20s, but then they just take off. They take off, take off. And as you get into your 30s, you're going to make more than your 20s. As you get into your 40s, you're going to make more than your 30s. This is science. As you get into your 50s, you're going to probably make more, barring disability. You know, disability happens. But for most of us, you're going to be making more income. There's a tip in the 60s early 70s, where we tend to start switching to retirement income. But prior to that, you will be making more money. So if you're like, I'm not making enough money, well, put this in your pocket because you're probably next month going to have a little more and next month going to have a little more. So I think that's a realistic approach. Yeah, the demographics say that you're most likely to buy a Harley Davidson motorcycle when you are 46 years old. And unless you're uh, unless you're uh, Colonel Sanders who made his millions uh, when he turned 71 or whatever, you're going to follow that bell curve. That's great. Mm-hmm. What about uh, this one? Uh, you know, so once people start to hear Holly that bank on yourself is based on dividend paying whole life insurance, they'll say this: Hey, my financial advisor, or hey, my radio host that I listen to every day, or hey, my uh, you know uncle who sells uh, Merrill Lynch or other you know investment bank accounts, whatever. Uh, says that all whole life insurance is terrible. What would you say to that? I would say that it can be true of some whole life insurance. Certainly, there is there are some kinds of whole life insurance that are not the greatest investment and are not necessarily the best place to put your money. Uh, but then there are also you know other kinds of whole life insurance that or other kind of like whole life insurance policies that are um, and that actually can be a good investment. And so when it comes to, you know, the bank on yourself policies, we're really not talking about your typical whole life that probably the person that told you that or gave you that advice isn't aware of. So they're really kind of making a judgment on all whole life insurance based on a very small sample size that they're aware of. They're not taking all um, of the different possibilities out there into consideration. So there are, you know, there's there's structural design to the bank on yourself type life insurance policies that really kind of dispel some of those different arguments that they'll make as to why whole life insurance is a bad investment. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like if all the research I had ever done when I 
um, you know, was getting uh, a, I mean, it really goes back to when I was getting my CFP and when I was even going through my insurance licensing, you're really not taught this more modernized form of whole life insurance. I don't, I mean, I don't know about you, Holly, but it, I mean, it just doesn't really get brought up much. Uh, it's sort of like we're all taught how the Model T worked, you know, the original automobile, and we're all supposed to sort of hold that Model T to today's Teslas and whatever else that are out there today. It's just simply not the same. They both have four wheels, I guess, but that's about it. Uh, what about this one? Uh, hey, um, Holly, the, you know, I, I really can't get into bank on yourself because, you know, I've got this, you know, I heard that whole life insurance has a level death benefit that doesn't keep up with inflation. In other words, the death benefit today might look like a lot of money, but let's f- fast forward to when I'm going to actually graduate and pass away that death benefit's not going to have grown any and it won't keep up with inflation, meaning I've got a less valuable asset in the future. That's a pretty nuanced objection, but I do get it a lot. What are your thoughts on that? So again, it goes back to the fact that there are some whole life insurance policies that that maybe be true of, but then the majority of them, though, it's it's not. Have you ever seen one that has a level death benefit that was issued in the last 15 years? I, I have mean, not. 20 years even? I have not. Uh, not, yeah. not, not that's not term. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, term, term stays level yeah. for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. But um, no, not whole life insurance. And, and I think also kind of going back to the last you know, objection in this one is something, you know, to, to point out is the fact that with bank on yourself, you know, you know, first off, we're not talking about generic whole life insurance policies. And we are talking about life insurance policies that can only be accomplished through specific companies. Mm-hmm, right. And even within that specific company, a specific product that's been designed for this and within that product been designed properly. So, I mean, we're talking a couple, you know, a couple things that all need to fall in place perfectly right. in order for you to be able to get this type of bank on yourself policy, which is why so few people are aware of it and don't realize that it can be used in this way. So it's a couple layers deep, um, which is why on the surface, people will just reject it at face value. But if you do go down that rabbit hole, you know, right. you, you go down those couple levels, you'll you'll find it. Um, and so I think that that's also part of it. So when it comes to a level death benefit and a you know death benefit that's able to grow, it comes it comes down to what company you're working with. Mm-hmm. If you're working with a dividend paying life insurance company, your death benefit has the opportunity to grow each and every year. Yeah, because your dividends, the profits that the insurance company is giving you as a mutual owner of that company, your dividends, your cash profit can be reinvested into the policy through paid up addition riders, which is what is adding additional death benefit as well as additional cash value to the policy. Great stuff. Mm -hmm. How about this one? Uh, Life insurance companies keep your cash value, confiscate your cash value when you die. Now, uh, I'm curious, Holly, if you ever heard that before, has anyone ever said, well, hey, you know, I want to make sure that I give my family the death benefit and I also want to keep the cash value for myself. Anything come across your desk like that? I have. I've had it come up a couple times. It, normally, it's not an objection of, oh, hey, I heard this. It's, you know, I'll be showing them a policy and they'll see a cash value and they'll see a death benefit. And they say, so if I die, my family gets both. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and so you kind of have to have that conversation of, of how that dynamic works. So that one's a little bit stickier to explain and, and would probably take more, you know, diving into, um, re- you know, really diving into the numbers to show you how it works and how you do get your death benefit 
and your cash value. But since that takes a little bit more, you know, we actually did dive into that with Pamela Yellen uh, right. when we had her on our podcast for the bonus episode. So we spent that whole episode kind of diving into this specific objection. So rather than necessarily yeah. going into all of it now, um, I'd say maybe just reference back to that bonus episode. So just head to notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com, click on bonus episode, and you can see proof of this. But the easiest way we can describe it today is think of when you sell your house. You don't get the house and the equity of the house. You just get whatever your equity was in that house at the time. So hold the life insurance to that same standard, and I think it'll make a lot of sense to folks. But even still, you get the full original death benefit and all the cash value and more oftentimes, again, due to the paid up additions writer. Now, what about commissions, Holly? This is another uh, very relevant topic uh, in our world as a financial advisor. How is it that uh, anyone would want to bank on your self-plan? Aren't those commissions on whole life insurance just terribly high? Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially with all the the light that's being shown on and, and all the, you know, I guess kind of media news revolving around fees, you know, in, in the investment industry. Um, I would say that this this is one that's becoming more of a, of a hot topic. You know, everyone wants to know, well, what are you going to charge me? Because they read an article that, you know, tells them that they should be asking that, right? Right, yeah, yeah. To their <laughs> make, investment advisor. Yeah, their investment whomever. advisor. Like, mm-hmm. Whenever you're talking to, a, you know, anyone in the financial services industry, make sure you're asking them, you know, what is your fee? And, um, and so, you know, sometimes we'll get that too. Um, and, you know, and so the objection is that, you know, commissions are way too high, you know, life insurance agents make way too much money on, you know, the commission that they charge, you should go with me and I, I'll just charge you a little 1%. That's all just 1% <laughs> yeah. a year. Um, and in reality, I mean, we, we've talked about the numbers before and how a 1% fee can eat up 30% of your account value over, you know, 30 years. Um, but, that's not the issue at hand. Specifically referring to just the commissions of a whole life insurance policy. Um, it is true it will look like that a life insurance agent maybe makes a lot in the first year, but that's about it. Yeah. You know, it, it, you know, you get paid in the first year and then, you know, not that much after that point. Um, but then even within that, you know, speaking specifically, you know, again, there's generic whole life and there's bank on yourself whole life. And so generic whole life, yes, it is going to look like they just made a ton of money off you. Um, but with a bank on yourself, you know, policy, probably not going to look as impressive yeah. <laughs> because I talked about how they're, they're, stru- they're, you know, they're specifically designed, right? And so one of the design elements that we you know, need in order to ach- uh, accomplish a bank on yourself policy um, requires a pretty big cut in, in the commission and in what we earn as the life insurance agent, you know, to the tune of 50 to 70 percent. Mm-hmm. So generic whole life over here pays X number of dollars. Bank on yourself whole life over here pays about you know fifty to seventy percent less. And yeah. that's because you're lowering the base in the bank on yourself plan, and the base is where most of the commission lives. Mm-hmm. But with bank on yourself, you have PUAs, the paid up additions, and the term writer, and those don't pay a commission as high as the base. And so when your base is super low, the commissions are also super low. So bank on yourself is a good design strategy if you're thrifty. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. If you want to go back to, I think, episode five and six, I think, uh, four, five, and six, yep. uh, we show this side by side with the old fashioned whole life. You know, I'm thinking about the Wolf of Wall Street and all the people who have made just bunkers, crazy amounts of cash in Wall Street and investments. I don't exactly hear the the Wolf of Whole Life out there <laughs> coming out in, in any movie. On. So I don't know a lot of these, like if, if someone out there is making just 10 bajillion dollars as an insurance agent, let me know. I'd like to, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd like to know how your business model works because I have not seen that. 
Uh, but anyway, so what are some other objections that you sometimes hear, Holly? Yeah, so one that I know I'll hear every you know every now and then, and, and Katrina, be curious to get your thoughts on it, is you know I'm not insurable. You know, so some p- people, if they've done a little digging into whole life, they're a little savvy on the topic. They know that in order to get a life insurance policy, it requires some amount of medical underwriting. So your health is a factor in your life insurance policy. And for some people, that can be a good thing. You can actually get above average rates, which leads to decreased costs as well. Or, you know, if your health isn't as great, it it could potentially be a bad thing um, where it could cost you more or even not even be possible. So for someone that says, hey, I know my health history. I know, you know, the the problems I've had. And I, I know that I'm not insurable. And then I usually ask them, well, what makes you say that? You know, because 90% of the time, the person who thinks they're uninsurable actually are insurable. There's only a few kiss of death conditions that really make um, a claim, or not just a claim, but a policy denied uh, during application process. But I look at this and I think, um, man, there's so many people you can get insurance on. So if you have insurable interest, with someone in your business, or you have insurable interest with someone in your family, perhaps a spouse, a child, a business partner, um, these people can carry the health rating for you. So they can be the insured and you can be the owner on such a policy. So that's really exciting. Um, Also, if you are having health issues and you still wanna be the insured, you may be able to get a policy that's rated. So that policy may cost a little more money, but you would still be the owner and the insured on that policy. And if the, if the company you work with says, yeah, awesome, um, then, you know, extra, a few extra bucks a month and you're in. Um, also, this is the most exciting. In the last few months, we've seen these companies come out with smaller um, underwriting requirements. So right now, when we have a client come in and they say, okay, I would like to start a bank on yourself policy, we start the application, they start going through underwriting, they sign up for their medical exam. By the time we get to that, that could balloon up to... What? Six? Five, six weeks, yeah. Six mm-hmm. weeks. Sometimes even six months, depending on the circumstance, if you're waiting on a physician statement or some long process to come through. Uh, with these new advanced underwriting directives, sometimes you can get an approval in certain circumstances in less than three days. So if you're doing a smaller bank on yourself plan that has less than 500K face amount, you're looking at a really fast process, especially if you're Mm -hmm. relatively healthy and the underwriter says, yeah, you qualify for this speedy process. Without physicals. Without a physical. That's huge. That's a brand new thing that's coming online. And a lot of the companies are doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I love this one. I get this all the time. You know, so I'm, I'm sitting down talking to someone about bank on yourself and they say, wow, this is great. I love this. This is amazing how I can, you know, uh, get the, get this tax-free income. My money's going to grow, protect it from the market. They're like, but, you know, I, he, this is so fantastic, I, but I'm, I'm too old. I can't do it. And so it's like they go from like, yes, this is mm, yeah. the best thing ever. But then they think about their age and all of a sudden they say they, they go to it's not even possible. Right. And and so um, that'll I'll see that, you know, that kind of transition happen. And so, you know, what about this objection of, hey, you know, I'm I'm just too old. It doesn't make sense for me anymore. I don't have enough time, you know, for it to make sense. Yeah. There's that African proverb that says the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. But the second best time to plant a tree is... 
today. Today. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, the, it, it may not be too late for you. You know, like we said earlier, you can find someone else who could be the insured, or maybe you're in really good shape and you just think you're older than you actually are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I've met some, like, late 70-year-olds that are just – could beat me like you know seconds flat off the off the starting block on a sprint. I mean they're just incredible doing push-ups, hundreds of push-ups a day, walking miles a day. And the yeah. mortality tables now are being written out to age one twenty one. Right. Yeah. So yeah. you know what you thought was um, too old fifty years mm-hmm. ago is not too old today. Sixty five is the new middle age. Now again back to engineering because uh, we're all nerds here. The cost of insurance is higher when you're older. Can't get around that. It just is. Uh, But again, our goal as we're designing this, if it's for a cash play in your portfolio, is to really lower that cost of the insurance. So again, that's the death benefit portion of the policy. So we're shrinking that down. Almost think of it like a seesaw. We push down on the death benefit side of the ledger, and that increases your cash value. So your cash value growth is going to be much faster if we design it correctly. I've actually built policies and seen policies designed where cash values of policies on a 65-year-old grows just as well as cash values on a healthy 25-year-old. So what we did was we just simply lowered the death benefit on the older 65-year-old, pushed more of that person's premium into the cash value instead. So again, don't count yourself out just because you can't count all the candles on your birthday cake, right? (laughs) What's another one, Holly? Yeah, so another one uh, that you'll sometimes get when when people are kind of thinking about bank on yourself, like, okay, well, this is safe, right? So if it's safe, that means, you know, no no return, no growth. Um, And so then sometimes the objection becomes, well, I can just do better in the stock market. You know, what, what do you think to that? Oh, man. It takes too long to see gains, right? Also, one loss. We talked about this um, in episode 14, right? One or two losses. Right. You can lose a big chunk of your portfolio in a blink. And I think the volatility outweighs the aggressive growth potential that everyone assumes is there. Um, When someone says to me, I can make 12% or I can make 15%, I'm like, where are you getting those numbers? Where are you getting? Because they read them, but they're not that's not reality. When you crunch the actual numbers, that's not what's happening. Yeah. And I I would also, I would agree with them in this case, because you can do better in the markets, uh, at least in a year to year point. And again, it's the matter of when do you want your money working best for you in a single year time horizon, then yeah, bank on yourself is not going to look good in the first few years against a a well-performing bull market. Uh, But again, it's about how long do we need this cash? And most people would say, yeah, probably over my entire life, I'm going to need my cash. So yeah. Great stuff. What's the next one? So what if I lose my job or if I get disabled and I can't pay premiums because premiums are monthly, right? Or quarterly or annually. I have to be ready to drop that cash in. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's awesome that the bank on yourself plans that we put together are flexible and come with a ton of flexibility in that premium payment. Um, I mean, you just even kind of mentioned the modes that you can pay. You can pay monthly, quarterly, semi-annually, annually. Um, That alone kind of adds some flexibility too. Um, But even above and beyond that, you know, the actual amount you're paying. Um, Again, not to keep going back to this, but, you know, generic whole life insurance and bank on yourself whole whole life insurance. You know, the kind, the generic whole life insurance most people are aware of, there is a set minimum. And man, if you can't make that payment, then you're in trouble. You're going to lose your policy. It's going to lapse. You're going to lose your death benefit. You know, it it kind of is this 
oh no scenario. Uh, whereas with a bank on yourself type policy, we've built flexibility into it. So if your you know premium payment was a thousand dollars a month and you hit a hardship, then sure, you know, take a breather, put a little bit less in, you know, you could probably go down to uh, as little as $300, $400 a month on that um, to kind of buy you that wiggle room. And there's even more options and flexibility beyond that. If it's, you know, more long-term like a disability, uh, we can look at, you know, reduce paying up the policy or using the policy to fund itself. So you maintain that coverage. Yep. Great stuff. All right. Uh, So uh, as we're kind of wrapping up here, there's probably more that we would look into Uh, Do we have time for one more? Yeah. All right. (laughs) So I did run a Facebook poll on our Facebook page and uh, also on a bank on yourself type Facebook group that I'm a part of. And I asked them what the biggest objection is to bank on yourself. And the one, the the result that I got was, uh, you know, I asked them, you know, hey, I don't have enough money. I'm uninsurable. It grows too slow. But it turns out the biggest reason uh, for objecting to bank on yourself was I should have done this years ago. Uh, so I thought that was sort of funny that they added that. Someone added that as an option on our poll. Oh, really? And they added that as the, and then most people put that as the answer. Oh, wow. Um, so I found that, I find that the biggest op- obstacle to change is usually our own preconceived notions, our own preconceived notions of something. I honestly think the biggest objection is something deeper than anything else we've talked about so far this episode. I think, honestly, I think the biggest objection is, hey, I don't want to make another mistake with my money like I've done so many times in the past. I don't want to make another mistake. I'm, afi- I'm afraid of mm-hmm. making one more mistake mm-hmm. with my money. And, you know, uh, you know that's typically the, the underlying objection beneath the true, real, honest concerns that people are bringing up here. So the true test is, can you overcome your own doubts, fears, and limits that you put on yourself uh, that you can, you know, maybe reach out to see if this strategy would be a good fit for you? That's really what we're here for. You know, we'll help you see these numbers in black and white. That's what we're here for. That's you know why we're doing this podcast and working with folks every day. So uh, if you find a way to head to our website, Not Your Average Financial Podcast, you can go to this little side button that says request a meeting. And we'd be happy, one of us would be happy to reach out to you and see if any of these uh, bank on yourself solutions or any of the other financial strategies we offer at our firm would make good sense in your portfolio. Uh, so again, you can go to notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com and click on request a meeting. Also, yeah. if you click on the episode, at the bottom of the post, there's an image of Mark's head and an image of Holly's head. And if you want to work <laughs> with Holly, you click on yeah. Holly's head. If you want to work with Mark, you click on Mark's head. And then it'll take you straight to their calendar. You can book and boom, that's done. Cool. Any other final thoughts as we're wrapping up? Looking good? Looking All right. Good. So we'll uh, wrap this one up and put a nice bow on it for the start of the year. Uh, thank you for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.